Welcome to Between the Gutters, where we talk about the stories within the panels. I'm your co-host, Albert, and with us is our other co-host. I'm Drew. How's it going, everybody? Hey, hey. So this week, in this week's episode, I said this week twice, three times now, technically. Yeah, in this week's episode. <laughs> you said it doing? again. <laughs> I said it four times. <laughs> Uh, but in this episode, with the announcement that Paper Girls is being put on Amazon, we thought we'd do an episode dedicated to the comic that inspired it all. This is a comic book that is written by Brian K. Vaughn and drawn by Cliff Chang. Drew, you, you're usually better at this stuff than I am. Are there any other notable people that worked on it? Yeah, yeah. So we're covering Paper Girls which is, as Albert said, written by Brian K. Vaughn. Line art by Cliff Chang. Colors by Matt Wilson. Letters by Jared K. Fletcher. This is a series that was 30 total issues and published by Image Comics. It was serialized from October 2015 to July 2019. Uh, So it took a few years, quite a few years for those 30 issues to come out, but that's because they had planned breaks uh, in between the story arcs. And you can find the entire series in six trade paperbacks or three hardcovers. And recently they released one fat paperback compendium collecting the entire thing. In this episode, we are reviewing or and discussing all 30 issues. So uh, I guess... As we normally do, we'll probably start off with a couple general spoiler-free thoughts and impressions before we go into heavy spoiler territory. And before we go into spoilers, we'll definitely give you guys a clear warning. Mm-hmm. Anything else you want to say by means of introduction, Albert? Not really. I, I, I can give a brief, just, you know, brief description of, of it just so... Our, our listeners can kind of follow along, uh, you know, with what we're talking about. Very brief. One sentence. How's that, how's that sound? One sentence? Or I'm going to count. Okay. Well, okay. Maybe not one sentence. That was <laughs> me definitely uh, being far too overconfident about my abilities. But uh, can you say it within 144 characters, just like on Twitter? Will this fit in a tweet? Oh man, you'll have to count because I, I, I'm not in the habit of counting my words because, you know, I'm just such a, uh, I'm just such a, a, a word vomiter that, <laughs> that counting words is just not in, in my habit to do. So I'm far more accustomed to just, you know, diarrheaing all over the people that I t- am talking to. That's true. That's true. Yeah, it'd be yeah. it'd be way too much work to count all the characters and whatever it is you're about to diarrhea into my exactly. earbuds. Exactly. My earphones. That's quite quite an image, but. Yeah, hey. I would I would hate the idea of anyone, <laughs> let alone you, completely <laughs> defecating into my earlobes. Yeah, ditto. That sounds right. That sounds about right. I don't think anyone would see anything wrong with that. You don't think anyone would see anything wrong with it? I think I don't think anyone would see anything wrong in feeling that way. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, I'll just give my briefish uh, description. But let me put up 
I don't even have the characters. Uh, uh okay. Uh, what's, so what's happening now? No, I'm I'm gonna go into it. So you know, we'll do the, it live. Huh? Are we doing it live? Yeah, I'm doing it right now. Is are we good? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm just. I was trying to banter with you, but I feel like I'm just throwing you off even more. Yeah, you a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. So the Paper Girls is a story of four girls who work on a paper route by the name of Aaron, Aaron Tang, Mackenzie McCoyle, Karina KJJ, and Tiffany Quilkin. And it's the story of them uh, on one fateful particular night going out on an adventure that will lead them across time and that will form an experience of a lifetime between all four of them and that will solidify the bonds between them. That's that's my brief description without spoiling too much of it. How's that sound? Yeah, I think that makes sense. The other one little detail I would say is the story starts on November 1st, 1988, and it's a very uh, clear day because the story begins uh, the the morning after Halloween, and the, the series makes kind of a, a big point of that. And uh, I don't think this is too much of a spoiler, but just the idea of of uh, time traveling and being involved in this time war between factions, uh, the, the dates do kind of become important. And I think the 80s start point uh, gives us a sense of who these characters are, like the kind of lives that they've uh, grown up in and the society that they inhabit, which is probably pretty similar to what Brian K. Vaughn grew up in, because I, I believe he's also from Cleveland and was probably around the same age in 1988 as these girls were. Okay. All right. That sounds good to me. It's good to you. It's good to me. Should yeah. we, shall we jump into it? Before we dive straight into the book, I, I did want to question you a little bit about your general thoughts about the creative team behind the book. Jeez, Drew, why are you always asking questions? <laughs> I like to ask questions because I like to hear your answers. Without your answers, this <laughs> podcast would be quite pointless. It would probably just be me talking to a microphone I into find the this void. All- so tedious oh my god (laughs) (laughs) i hate being here okay i'm I'm messing around what do you what do you want what do you got shoot shoot from the hip yeah just tell me what your general thoughts are on bkv and cliff chang in particular uh yeah uh brian k bone or bkv as as you refer to him he's He's someone that I generally have a lot of goodwill towards. He, um, I believe the first thing or the thing that really, that he wrote that really sticks out in my memory is uh, Why the Last Man. That's That was like sort of the thing that put him on the map. That's the thing that um, a lot of people recognize him for, but he's done a lot of work since then uh, with uh, a lot of very uh critically and well and and popular comics so you know he's a guy who's who's uh you know 
pretty well known and done very well for himself in the comics industry. Uh, he's got a very unique and I'd say uh, prolific voice. Um, yeah, like I, I don't, I don't have anything bad to say about him. He's he's definitely on the list of writers where when you see his name attached to something, um, even if it's not necessarily a, a premise that grabs you in in that instance, uh, he's he's someone I'm more than willing to give a chance to, uh, just by the virtue of his name being attached to it. Mm-hmm. Um, as for Cliff Chang, he's a pretty great artist. Um, I believe he worked on Wonder Woman. I mean, he definitely worked on a lot of stuff, but the, the the biggest thing that I can remember him on is Wonder Woman with Brian Azzarello in the New 52. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was definitely the best thing that came out of that era of comics. Um, he's a guy yeah, for... Especially from DC. Yeah, especially from DC. But he's a guy who, uh, you know, for the amount of talent that he has, it's it's both surprising and not surprising to me that he doesn't get more work um, because he's too good for idiots, but (laughs) not good enough to get work because of those same idiots. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. He's got a very clean style and it's uh, deceptively simple, but I, I love just, the clean lines and uh, just how uncluttered his work looks. It's, it's beautiful in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about you, Drew? So no love for the colorist or the letterer, Albert? You know me. I generally, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure they uh, earn their, no, they definitely earn their work. Uh, but I'm, I'm very, uh particular about what details i consume and what details i don't consume because life's too short so you know i'll 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 leave the appreciation for colorists and letterers and inkers and you know the guy that staples the comics i'll 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 leave that to you (laughs) (laughs) now i'm just imagining like the keebler elves making comic books and there's like one elf that's dedicated to stapling them yeah uh you know joey joey at at dc wherever you are who uh, you know if you're stapling these comics you're a champ and you're a pro and we love you <laughs> <laughs> you ain't never done nothing wrong by us <laughs> how that no yeah with bkv he's definitely one of my favorite writers also i, I love the dude's work he's uh like you said man if I see his name on something, I'm gonna just buy it. It doesn't really matter what the premise is or what character or anything. I mean, I have a ton of his comics. Uh, might be missing some of his more obscure, really early Marvel and DC fill-in issues because I know he got to start doing some random uh, Marvel comics when he was pretty young. But as far as his lengthy runs and his his own works definitely i read all his comics uh or at least almost all of his comics and i have most of them he's also done quite a bit of tv but i don't really watch as much tv so i haven't watched 
Lost or Under the Dome, but those are shows that he was a pretty big part of. Those are, yeah, those are kind of his big credits, at least in the world of TV. Um, yeah. There was earlier this year, Why the Last Man, the, the book that he worked on that, you know, again, that made his name blow up. It got one season on, on I think it was FX, but it got canceled afterwards, mm-hmm. which, you know, uh, I guess if you're a fan of TV, that sucks, but you have the book. So if you ever really want to know how that show ends, you can always go back to the book. Yeah, yeah. And he had another show based on one of his works, which was Runaways over on Hulu. I think it was Hulu, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're right. He did do that for Hulu. Yeah. Um, now it's on Disney Plus, I think. Yeah, that makes sense. It's a It's a Marvel book. I mean, he's a guy who's works we've talked about in previous episodes. We had his Runaways run on our Marvel Top 25 list when we did those episodes. And last year, we did an episode on the first half of Saga before Saga uh, resumed from its hiatus earlier this year. So yeah, he's he's definitely a beloved creator from Between the Gutters. And... Uh, it's another funny thing about him, dude, is uh, did you know he's writing a live action adaptation of Mobile Suit Gundam? Yeah, I think you've mentioned <laughs> it to me a few times. So, you know, seeing as how you're a big fan of Mobile Suit Gundam and you're a big fan of BKV, I, I imagine that that's right up your alley. I'm not a big fan of live action adaptations of anime. That's true. You might especially be the from, from Western people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But so I, I'm I'm really I'm really worried about it. I mean, yeah. I, I love BKV stuff, but I really hope that this turns out to be great because I would I would feel pretty sad if something he worked on, specifically Gundam of all things, if it turned yeah. out to be something that everybody would just end up crapping on, or you know, yeah. if it's just if it just ends up being bad and critics and the public end up savaging it i'd I'd feel pretty crestfallen for bkv and for gundam well to be fair i i have a feeling that if everybody else hated it but as long as you loved it that would be more than enough for you oh that's true yeah that is that is absolutely correct man yeah so i i truly hope that it turns out (laughs) i I truly hope it turns out to be a great movie man Yeah. yeah yeah and for our regular listeners, we've actually been reading through the manga Mobile Suit Gundam The Origin once a month. It's 12 volumes. So, yeah, it's, there's something kind of amusing to think that one of the things that we're currently reading, uh, you know, BKV is somehow tangentially uh, related to it or connected to that franchise. Yep. As far as yep. Cliff Chang, he's another one of my favorite artists, too. I like his stuff a lot. I, f- I first discovered him on Human Target with Peter Milligan. This was a, the Vertigo series from around 2004, thereabouts. But they had a good run together. Human Target was a great series. Peter Milligan is probably my favorite comic book writer. And that's how I really fell in love with Cliff Chang's work. And and then, like you were saying earlier, uh, the Wonder Woman run that he did for the New 52 with BK uh, with Brian Azzarello, another bald Brian from Cleveland. 
No, that <laughs> right. that's some good stuff too. I, I really loved that run. And I'll I'll try to give some love to the other creatives, man, because Matt Wilson, he's known and regarded as one of the best colorists in in the industry. Uh I I don't remember like what awards and things he's won, if any. I feel like he might have won an Eisner this year, but I would I, I probably should have double checked before I started singing his praises because I, I just can't remember off the top of my head. But I know he's I've read a bunch of comics that he's worked on, and one of them would be that Wonder Woman run, which was probably the first time he collaborated with Cliff Chang. So nice, I think nice. that that's probably something that helped them build a level of rapport and comfort with one another and trust in each other's artistic skills. And you really see that come to fruition in Paper Girls, because I think the coloring does so much in setting the mood and texture of the story. It, it really affects the tone of it. And the other big thing from Matt Wilson that I think of is his run on Thor with Jason Aaron and Russell Dowderman. I don't remember if he colored the issues from other artists in that run, but I definitely know that he colored Russell Dowderman stuff. And, and that stuff is fantastic because Russell Dowderman's just amazing superhero artist. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I remember looking at some of the Russell Dowderman <laughs> art on the Thor run and the coloring was definitely fantastic, you know? Yeah. It's super vibrant and, and lively. Yeah, which is a pretty interesting uh, contrast to how Paper Girls looks with its very specific hues and kind of this neon palette. So very, it really just shows yeah. you that this guy Matt Wilson has a variety of styles. Man, he's not just locked into one specific look, but he's he just knows the the color spectrum and how to apply it for whatever story that he's working on. So you're saying he's not like Zack Snyder in that everything is. <laughs> sepia toned he is not <laughs> he's got more than one mode yeah he does <laughs> you know i'm looking i'm glancing at matt wilson's credits here um on wikipedia and i see that he did color the rainbow rowell run of runaways as well oh nice, nice. yeah i forget who the artist on that was but um you know there were a were... few different artists. I think the first artist on that run was Chris Anka. Mm. And then there were quite a few other people. Um, I, I can't remember their names off the top of my head, but I, I'll recognize the names if I see them. Nice. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. You want to move into uh, just what our thoughts and feelings on the book are? uh like or do you want to what do you want to talk about yeah what are your general thoughts on the book man yeah if i had to say um uh, and let, i admit, let's say let's say spoiler free but you're trying to sell our listeners who may not have read the series yet you're trying to sell it to them you know like why why should they pick up paper girls and give it a shot okay 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 let me let me figure out how to, how to phrase this for each person that doesn't read this book, I will personally home invade their residence and terrify them unless they read it. How's that? 
that's a lot of homes to invade. It's a good thing I've gotten a lot of head starts. <laughs> the other thing you got to factor in, though, is, back. is according to the stats, though, we have a lot of listeners in Columbus, Ohio. See, so they're safe. <laughs> so, so if they live far away enough, they're free from this threat. Let me clarify to our listeners. When he says that we have a lot, quote unquote, of listeners in uh, Ohio State, I'm speaking uh, in relative terms. Yeah, it's like maybe 10 of you, <laughs> maybe 20. <laughs> Either <laughs> that or, or just one guy listens to every episode like 100 times. Yeah, well, George, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> well, but in all seriousness, um, yeah, I, I was talking to you outside of this uh, before we started the podcast, and I think if I had to say... I admit purely that this might be recency bias, but I do think that this might be my favorite thing from uh, Brian K. Vaughn. And, you know, I, like you, I've, I've read quite, quite a hefty uh, amount of his works. So, you know, for, for if that means anything to anyone. Um, no, that's know, the, definitely big praise, man. Yeah, so so I do think it, it was to the point where once I, it wasn't just that I was reading it and I was consuming it, just, you know, gorging myself on it because I really wanted to know how it ended and, you know, what happened next, which Brian K. Vaughan is just a master at uh, telling those kind of stories and leaving those kind of uh, cliffhangers, cliffhangers where he, he ain't no Scott Snyder where like the cliffhangers <laughs> make me go, well, that was dumb. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, he knows how to do good cliffhangers. And the thing about it is, um, I, I, I might, I'll, I'll admit that this might be an instance where his, his the, the subject matter of his writing just happens to be in the wheelhouse of my one of, uh, of the, the pet themes that I'm most drawn to. So, Maybe that's uh, that's why this this particular story just hit that much harder for me than uh, his other stories. But yeah, I mean, it's a story about coming of age. It's a story about kids facing adversity, preteen girls, preteen girls, you know, and facing adversity and just uh, coming through Learning on the other how to side. Be friends. Yeah, yeah learning and it's about their friendship and their bond and uh you know and and even the horror of uh the adult world yeah you know facing those things so the yeah it was definitely and and amongst other things like if if you definitely compare this to you know any mainstream books just in terms of quality it's substantially better like you have cliff chang as far as I can tell, he drew all of it, right? I, I yeah, yeah. So like, it's it's a consistent look and it's a consistent narrative all the way through. Which you know, you're 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 lucky to get that out of four issues from a Marvel comic. <laughs> Seriously, man. Yeah, yeah. Especially in today's age, it's like you you can read the first four issues of a Marvel comic from issue one, and those first four issues could have three art three pencilers, you know. It's ridiculous. Yeah. yeah, they're just really concerned with just pumping out stuff. Uh, 
yeah but once i finished uh reading it i i did it did make me sort of kick myself for not ordering the deluxe hardcover editions uh earlier but i think i think i will want to get those deluxe hardcovers for myself i mean it's i read these off hoopla off our library app which i'm a big proponent of and uh you know i'm glad that i had access to it but this is something that definitely is worth owning in a nice hardcover mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah what about you man what what were your initial thoughts well my my first thoughts were i, I was kind of concerned at the beginning because i wasn't sure you were gonna like this comic because time travel is such a heavy factor in it yeah and i know yeah. you got that thing against time travel so when you told me that this might be your favorite bkv comic i was i was uh flabbergasted you man you were floored you were slack jawed you were left dumbfounded completely uh, dumbfounded yeah you crapped your pants i um, did not crap my pants are you are, okay you no, you didn't you sure definitely you sure? not there was no in there just there was no crap? bodily excrement whatsoever <laughs> there was no crapping of the pants uh, no didn't even release. leak any urine okay was, no release of the bowels whatsoever no uh, i wasn't affected physically Okay. My body was completely normal. It was just emotionally, <laughs> I was shocked. Metaphorically, I was slack-jawed. Okay, 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 okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You don't have that much power over me yet. <laughs> <laughs> it's a dream. It's it's a dream that someday before before I pass into, before I leave this mortal realm, that I will find some way to make you crap your pants the dream would be to say something so outrageous to me during a recording session that I crap my pants while we're talking and recording the podcast. <laughs> like, let, let's say you told me a joke that was so funny that I just peed myself. Like that would be a true accomplishment. And if it ever happened, even though we're recording remotely, I would still tell you out of honesty so that you could enjoy your accomplishment nice man nice but unless i tell you that you can safely assume that it has not I have happened never done it okay yeah okay yeah all right all right all right so i'm expecting you now to make it your goal every episode to try to tell me at least one hilarious joke to try to make me pee myself i don't know about that but the next time i see you i might punch you in the bladder i'm gonna start wearing a cup <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm very lazy, and that might be the quickest way for me to expedite that process. <laughs> just a swift, just a swift spin kick to the bladder. <laughs> I'm gonna walk around, making sure that we're always at least six feet apart from each other. <laughs> oh man. Okay. 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 All right. Anyways, back to it. <laughs> What was, what were you asking? What was what were we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I was uh I was curious as to oh no you were t talking about my uh aversion to uh, oh, yeah, that's right. stories and I was just gonna say that um did you know you going know, into this that time travel was gonna be a plot element? Uh, I didn't. To be honest, I didn't know anything about it going into it other than that Brian K. Vaughn wrote it and Cliff Chang drew it. Um. I think I, I preferred it that way. It was something where I didn't want to 
like it's been out for a while but i hadn't read up on it at all up to up to the point where i'd read it yeah i think in the back of my mind i always knew that i was eventually going to get to it at some point but you know uh the way that i operate there are just so many comics in my life that you know that usually means that there are a lot of things that i won't get to so uh this podcast does make it so that i have a reason or if not an excuse to read a lot of things that i wouldn't normally read or go out of my way to read until Mm -hmm. i'm done with you know everything else that i have at home Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. but yeah uh going into it i i didn't know anything about it even in the early couple of pages of uh not not couple of pages but in the early like volume of of paper girls uh Brian K. Vaughn did sort of do that thing where he teases the idea that this could be a bunch of different things that, that are causing this. And you're never really quite sure what it is until he's ready for you to, you know, mm-hmm. to, 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 to embrace it. If, if he does that at all, you know? Yeah. Um, but, but I guess the one difference here is uh, he very much made it clear uh, pretty early on that what what this was um which was it's a it's girl these four young women going on the adventure of a lifetime a time traveling adventure of a lifetime and uh you know even though i'm not a huge fan of uh time travel as a plot device um i i do think that the emotional core of this story and the uh I guess the existential dread were things that really did resonate with me. Um, the, you know, the, the friendship with girls, the characters was something that meant a lot to me. Uh, I'd say that even, even the idea of predetermination as a story concept is something that I'm more willing to buy into, which is kind of funny because I, I, I do think that philosophically that kind of idea does go hand in hand with time travel but Mm -hmm. it doesn't always have to um so yeah i i'm complex man i'm yeah yeah i'm many things you layered yeah you're an individual with plenty of depth yeah i I, yeah like you know like johnny depth right johnny depth (laughs) (laughs) no yeah i'm like johnny depth over here (laughs) That's how how much depth I got. All right, all right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, man. What about you? What did you know about this going into it? How much did you know about it going into it? So let me tell you a story about the first time I tried reading Paper Girls. This was <laughs> okay. This was early 2016 or maybe mid 2016 when the first trade paperback just came out. So I knew it was BKV and Cliff Chang. I knew that at one point I would eventually want to own it, but I was holding out for some kind of hardcover because I I knew that this was going to be a a longer ongoing series. So I still wanted to read it. So I borrowed the first volume from the library. And mind you, this was pretty shortly after it had just come out. So it wasn't like a ton of people had had their hands on the book already. But I guess 
uh, enough bad people had touched the copy I happened to borrow at that time. So what ended up happening was I checked out the book, had it on hold, and I checked it out, took it home, and then I sat down and I started reading it. I read probably into the second, maybe even the third issue of the trade paperback. And while when I turned the page, all of a sudden I was confronted with this really gross, reddish, sticky kind of substance that was holding the pages together. It I couldn't tell if it was like dried strawberry jelly or jam, or if it was dried beef jerky that just got stuck to the pages, but it was wow. it was substantial. It was big. It was yeah, too gross to touch. And there was there was human hair stuck to it. Huh. That's uh if you can't tell whether it's beef jerky or jelly, that's that's quite fossilized. Yeah. Yeah. And I I just saw that and I was so disgusted. I closed the book. I left it outside of my front door because I didn't want it literally inside my house. And then the very next day, I returned it to the library. <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a pretty high. Uh, what's it called? It, it feels like that's a pretty high hurdle to overcome. That that just instinctive disgust that you're gonna associate that book with. That's rough, man. That I is hate rough. people, dude. Why do people got to do that? Why do people treat books like that? Because people, because because we can't have anything nice. They're they're the exact reason why we can't have anything nice ever. Because you know, it goes from libraries to buildings to just public spaces, and just they just don't want us to have nice things. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Rough, but man. yeah, after I ended up returning the, the that trade paperback, I ended up not requesting it again. So I just kind of put it off and held it off for years, basically. And I just avoided reading anything about the story because I didn't want to spoil any of it for myself. Because I I still knew that at some point I was gonna own it and read it for myself. Yeah, and eventually after the series was finished i think maybe it took them a while because the hardcovers the third hardcover didn't come out until significantly a few months after uh the series had ended but i, I believe it was i want to say late last year when the third hardcover finally came out so i ended up just buying all three at at the same time oh. in one shot so felt good to get them all in my collection and I could just read clean copies unsullied by the filthy hands of humanity. <laughs> right. Right. Well, I mean, it was a long weighted uh, experience, but you finally got it. And I, what was it? Everything that you thought it was going to be? Did you, were you able to overcome the disgust of, <laughs> uh, humanity that had tainted it yeah i was able to overcome it i think just the fact that these were hardcovers it didn't give me the same tactile sensation so whatever memory i had associated with that trauma 
had dissipated by the time I got to my personal hardcover copies. And I got to say, I did enjoy the comic a lot. I don't know if I'm bold enough to say it's my favorite BKV comic. Mm-hmm. I think that would be a really hard thing for me to to claim. I'd probably have to digest this one a bit more, probably even reread it. But I definitely loved this series and appreciated it quite a bit, especially with the awesome Cliff Chang art. I mm-hmm. think, if anything, I'd, I'd probably say this is a series that would really benefit, in my eyes, from rereading it. Because I, I think when I, these first, uh, several issues, especially, um, you just kind of throw. They just kind of throw you in without really explaining a whole lot, and you gotta piece things together the same time that the characters are piecing them together. Yeah, you don't really have any exposition that's describing or explaining exactly what's going on. So you've just got to pay attention. And then by the time I finally uh, picked up on where the story was going, I felt like I'd read, like, I don't know, like half the series already at that point, you know? Yeah. But that's why I feel like if I reread from the beginning, I'll probably be able to make more sense of some of the early stuff because I I read these issues in the span of, like, I don't know, a week and a half or so. So Uh kind of not not exactly a real binge because I think this is a series that someone could conceivably read in one sitting. Or maybe like two sittings. But there are definitely things early on that I don't remember as clearly. And when they get uh, referenced later on uh, down the line, like I, I feel like I was, I feel like rereading it, uh, I can put together some of the foreshadowing and, uh, you know, it'll just be an even better experience knowing what's happening. That makes sense um it's it's definitely he definitely gives you a lot of information <clears throat> and i think that goes hand in hand with what i was saying earlier where you know pretty early they they kind of tease the idea that you don't really know what's going on i think for a second <laughs> yeah for a brief second it was like oh is this the rapture <laughs> you know yeah or um, are these are these aliens <laughs> yeah exactly so so you're kind of bombarded with a lot of different possibilities which which is something that I feel like BKV likes to do uh, when he writes his stories is just give you that element of, I don't know, bewilderment is the word, but surprise, I guess, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, just to give you a lot of options before, uh, before they really solidify the direction of the story. But yeah, I, I mean, in spite of that, I, I, I yeah, I really do feel like I was able to follow along and just enjoy the experience overall. Yeah, and I think part of that goes back to what you were describing earlier in terms of how the emotional heart and core of the story was able to help you overcome your aversion to time travel and and those kinds of plot devices. Because I, I do think that even in the beginning, no matter how many things are thrown at the reader or how confusing the story might seem or how few answers we may have right at the outset. The heart of the characters and 
they're yeah they're the the way that they're presented it, it's it's compelling enough to make you feel comfortable to continue reading you don't have to worry about not understanding everything because you understand enough through those characters because yeah. they don't even understand everything that's happening at first it takes them a while to to figure it out so you're kind of along for the ride with them which kind of is it actually is kind of fun you know like you're discovering things along with them and the little cliffhangers at the end of the chapter the issues are always a bkv special you know like he's always got these good cliffhangers these cliffhangers that that end on this emotional beat as opposed to you know a <laughs> bomb going off in a some in somebody's face or batman yeah. falling out a window or something yeah yeah exactly exactly do you want to go over, like, since you've briefly kind of touched on it a little, I guess we can expand on it and go over some of the themes, the larger themes that the book is about. Yeah. Are we uh, going to head straight into spoilers now? Sure. Let's rip that Band-Aid off. Okay. Okay. So from here on out, we are going to be spoiling the series, I guess. Yeah. The story. Yeah. Yeah. You have been warned, listeners. <laughs> that was you think quite that's threatening funny? I, no i thought that was threatening <laughs> what how is it threatening to give somebody a warning uh a warning can be pretty threatening depending on the tone i mean you were talking about home invading people who didn't read the book so i feel like that's more threatening than me yeah, giving people a spoiler say, warning i didn't say that that wasn't threatening but okay <laughs> this isn't uh, a matter of uh you know being holier than thou on the on the topic not at all but i, I think it's kindred so so we're I'm, just I'm constantly fine. threatening our listeners <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> listen to us or we will pepper spray you <laughs> uh, that's our that's our new slogan <laughs> So, yeah, you were going to say about the major themes of the book? Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's jump into that then. Um, I do think that, like a lot of BKV uh, comics, he he's a guy who definitely has a lot of depth and who, uh, who likes to cover a lot of complexity, you know? And Paper Girls really is no different. It's... It's got quite a lot going on. Um, there's definitely uh, stuff there that's about, you know, coming of age, about friendship, uh, but there's also things, you know, in there, this being a time travel story, being about what it's like to grow up and I guess hate what it is you've become. You know, uh, mm -hmm. it's the idea of, and it, it's 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 not even the idea of you growing up to become. It it, it doesn't feel like it's this definite line where, uh, you know, where where there's this 
cut a line of demarcation between where you were cool as a youth and where you were awful as an adult because they they seem to meet various versions of themselves in various stages of this of their life and they all seem to have problems with one another you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's it's almost like no matter what stage of life you're in they're just things that you're not going to be satisfied with about yourself and I guess the thing that makes it interesting is it just takes place in the backdrop of this grand epic story about uh, trying to get home while you're lost in the timeline and, and, and in this backdrop of this epic time war between uh, various factions. But yeah, at, at its center, it's really about, um, it really does feel like it's about these characters going off on this journey and uh, developing these friendships with one another, but also just dealing with the uncertainty of growing up. You mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of that that, that touches on um, yeah, that just really hits home. There, there's. I, I'll admit that there were times in this. I, I'm I'm an '80s kid myself, and I think reading this did do something for me. Where, as I was reading it, it did make me look back at my own life, and it did. It 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 really does feel like. Like I don't really think about it too often now in, in the present day, but. It, when I do like taking that moment to think about it, like it, it really does feel like I'm a substantially different person. Like obviously I'm I'm a different person than you know what I was when I was in the '80s or as a kid or whatever. But mm-hmm. um, you're a lot bigger now. I, I'm definitely fatter than I was. <laughs> so, you have more comic books than you did when you were a kid. Yeah, yeah. Um, I can eat ice cream for dinner, so yeah, uh, that'll yeah. teach him. Uh, <laughs> little bastard. Uh, <laughs> but yeah it's it's interesting to think because i think in my mind like i guess even being in my 20s wasn't that long ago but it's it's quite a while now uh so there's definitely when you stop and actually think about it you could you just kind of realize uh how much has happened since then and just yeah Mm -hmm. just where you are and i do think that there's a part of me that wonders if um yeah you know if i'd see the world the same way like uh, i i yeah i really have to stop and kind of deconstruct uh how how differently i see the world now as opposed to how i looked at the world five years ago 10 years ago 20 years ago or whatever but Mm -hmm. yeah um yeah, man. Any uh, any themes jump out at you, or any uh, particular scenes or moments that uh, you know uh, really highlighted those themes? Actually, uh, before uh, I take us on a perhaps a slightly different topic, I did want to follow up on what you were saying earlier in terms of being able to enjoy seeing these girls forge their friendship with each other yeah because one of the things that crossed my mind as i was reading the story 
was how much time did the girls actually spend uh, with each other on this adventure? Because reading the story over 30 issues, it feels like a long time. And it took it took yeah. the creators, you know, four or five years to to do it all. But comics time is different than real. Yeah, time. exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Like the, the amount of time that they actually spend with each other. It feels like. I mean, it, maybe it gets a little confusing because time travel is involved, but we do know that the that Aaron doesn't know the other three girls until the story begins, and that's when she first meets them. Yeah. But clearly, by the end of the story, they all all four of them have this special bond with each other. So I was just wondering what your opinion was in terms of like how much time do you think actually elapsed? from their perspective oh that's funny i think reading it at such a fast pace when you stop and really think about it 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 probably isn't that much time yeah yeah but but i do think that this is one of those uh it's one of those experiences where the stakes are just so high for all these characters and and the stakes being so high, it forces them to rely on each other. And it's those kind of experiences that build uh, uh, such strong bonds. So I I can believe that what they've been through was just so intense that at the end of it all, um, that they would have this affinity towards one another. But, but even even outside of that, uh, paradigm I'm, I'm getting kind of uh, pretentious but um, even outside of that paradigm when you really think about the characters when we initially meet them they're all kind of loners they're not really each of them in their own way is pretty isolated from they're, like I wouldn't say that they're like nerds or they're like bullied or anything like that but they definitely keep to themselves. Like the one girl, uh, I think her name is uh, Mackenzie. No, no, Mac. no, not Mackenzie. Mac. Uh, not not Mackenzie. Uh, Karina. Yeah. Uh, KJ? No, no, no. Tiffany? Tiffany what? There we go. Okay. No, <laughs> sorry. I'm naming everybody. <laughs> sorry. It's, def- it's definitely Tiffany. That's who I was thinking of. Okay. So, Tiffany like there's this one point in the in the comic where she gets to she touches one of these time beings these time entities and as a result she can see her life before her and all she sees are just images of her playing video games at various stages of her life you know Mm -hmm. um so she really does you really get the sense that she's not someone who has a lot of friends um and then as we go on and learn about the characters a little more, we learn the same of uh, Mac. Uh, you know, she's just kind of the tough girl of the group, but she's pretty standoffish with everyone. And Karina, uh, we learned that she went to this prestigious school, but because of um, her Jewish heritage, they kind of, you know they're mean mean girls at the school that just kind of pick on her so they're they're all sort of loners in their own right and maybe they're not explicitly looking for friendship 
but there is definitely this sense that after the the entirety of the experiences that they've faced um they've they've come to value uh each other from from it you know so i i definitely Brian K. Vaughn definitely writes them in a way that's convincing enough where I believe that these these four young women um, really did go through something and found something in each other that they didn't necessarily know that they were looking for. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, So even... Oh, oh, go ahead. ahead. I was just going to say, so even if the, the time... Uh, the window of time is is accelerated. It's not something where the briefness of 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 it all made me go, "Oh man, that that's not believable," or like I I don't think that they would so quickly rely on each other as as this unit just because of that. Uh, like the 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 stakes like i said the stakes were high enough where and they were just in a situation where they had no one to rely on except each other so mm-hmm. i mm-hmm. you know it's like that whole florence nightingale thing where <laughs> you know when someone's in a hospital and uh you know uh they're being taken care of sometimes for whatever weird mental reason people are drawn to those kind of experiences and in that moment they think that that's a you know, the kind of relationship that'll last forever or whatever. <laughs> mm-hmm. What were you gonna yeah. ask me? So yeah, and, uh, I was I was gonna ask you because uh, you had mentioned the girls end up basically finding something uh, in each other, right? So like I was gonna follow up on that to see if you'd elaborate on what you saw happening there in terms of how they, for battle for lack of a better term, how do they complete each other? Ooh, wow, that's a that's a big question. Because that concept is something that I also agree with, and I was mm-hmm. that was percolating in my mind uh, even before you said it. But when I was asking myself, like, how exactly do they complement each other, or what is it that makes them like fit so well with each other as friends and and have that connection? Like, I felt like I had to, or I'm still racking my mind. So I felt like that was something I had to ask you, man. I don't know that I have an answer, a clear-cut answer for that, because it's not something where I feel like I can say that, oh, well, this one girl is kind of a tough girl, and this one girl is kind of the smart, nerdy girl, and they complement each other in that sense. Like, that's, I, I yeah, think that's kind of a reductive way to look at it. It's, like, it's actually pretty fascinating how BKV doesn't lean into those stereotypes. Like, all of these characters are pretty unique. Like, the, the one character that maybe maybe someone could say is kind of a starts off as kind of a caricature is mac because she's the 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 tough one of the group because she you know she's more rebellious she swears a lot more than the other kids and she's you know they're 12 years old and she's already smoking cigarettes and stuff yeah yeah but i felt like even even her even that character throughout the course of the story doesn't really stay in that mold of just the stereotypical tough girl yeah i mean they they all have like so much layers of so many layers of depth to them 
yeah but that's the thing that's the thing that makes them believable right is that mm-hmm. They're not Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles where it's like, yeah. oh, they're, each person represents like one specific aspect of, uh, of humanity or whatever. You like, got the fun-loving dude. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Party, party dude. You got the, the guy who's cool but rude. Yeah, you got the leader, uh, you know. And you got the genius. And you got the genius, exactly. But, you know, that, that sort of thing works when you're watching saturday morning cartoons uh as it it's an easy way to communicate communicate uh character right character yeah. building by by leaning into the exaggerated aspects of their personality but but I, i'd still say that the, some of that exists uh, like tiffany does is considered kind of the the smart one and i don't i do think that bkv does play with that a little bit Again, like I don't think he exaggerates it to the point where it's obvious or anything like that. But uh, the the girls do kind of occupy a certain space, right? Or or a certain characteristic or whatever. Um, but mm-hmm. but yeah, they're not really limited to that. Um, uh, and I think that's the thing. I think as as the series progresses, you watch as they develop um, and change uh, o- over the course of it. The the one girl, um, KJ, she she definitely starts out kind of a blank slate, but she she becomes kind of a toughie, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think. I think that subtlety, uh, the subtlety of it all, like works in its favor because it allows you to, even though they're kind of these empty vessels where you you have an idea, a general idea of what their character archetypes are, um, because it starts out at the beginning as being, you know, kind of shallow and, and undefined. Uh, it's his job as a writer as the story progresses to fill those vessels and to define them uh, and to alter really our expectations of them as, as we're reading, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we definitely get that experience. We um, eventually, you know, KJ and K, like one of the things is KJ eventually discovers that she might actually be a lesbian, well, not might, she actually is, she discovers that she's, lesbian and you know that's it's an interesting dynamic to throw in there and uh you know the just watching as she comes to grips with it in in the face of everything that's going on it's yeah it's all very interesting to to experience and to read you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah that's definitely one of the things that really worked for me in in the story, the whole friendship element. Yeah. Because you know that that's another one of the themes that I typically enjoy, yeah. whether it's kids or adults or teenagers or boys or girls or whatever the case may be. You know, like just the idea of seeing these bonds that are forged. And I think what you were saying earlier about how 
even though the time that they spent with each other might not have been relatively a long period, but the fact yeah. that they were undergoing these intense experiences, that's what really forges the bond, right? Because yeah, I think exactly. with, with anyone, if you're undergoing some kind of intense experience with other people alongside you, you're either going to be best friends and bonded for life, or you're going to hate each other. And, <laughs> you know, fortunately they ended up, it ended up working out for them, you know? And I, yeah. that that is like a very wonderful thing to see. You know, it's yeah. it's wholesome. And, and even though this is a story that does contain a lot of violence and death and action and thrills and stuff, I, I do think that the that emotional core of the friendship between them, mm. it's it's strong throughout the series as you watch their bond of trust build up early on you can tell that they don't really feel that close to each other and then by the end of it uh the very end of the story when they're all about to be sent back to the beginning yeah. of before they were taken through uh through time they're about to get yeah. sent back to november 1st 1988 but the catch is they're all going to lose the memories of everything they just experienced in the time war yeah, but you have Tiffany repeatedly saying to herself, "We're not just paper girls; we're friends." Yeah, and it's that really like hit this, home, man. Yeah, For sure. It's it's this mantra that she clings to in order to, you know, just cling to the hope that even if they lose their memories and go back to the beginning of that day, which is going to proceed without any interference, she's still hoping that they'll end up being friends in that world. Yeah. You yeah. know, and and there is something pretty stirring about that. Yeah, like I, one of the things uh, about the series is um, once you get to the end, there there is some resignation because one of the story, one of the main plot threads is about how Mac, because of the time traveling, uh, exposes herself to something that eventually is going to lead to cancer it's you know for the better lack of a word it's like a, a time cancer time traveling cancer yeah and, it only affects time travelers yeah and so as they're going on this adventure um when they go to the future she learns that the version of herself in the future uh is dead uh wasn't able to to survive it so they part of their adventure is trying to come up with a cure for it but by the time you get to the end of the series there's this moment where they talk about how you know all of us eventually die and it's really you know no one really knows when and how um but it's really what you do with that time so there's this sense of like i said resignation to the entire experience but in spite of it all um they focus on the friendship and that I thought that was really some pretty moving stuff, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely uplifting stuff. Yeah. Did you have any more to say on that? I, I kind of wanted to mention one other observation I had. Go for it, man. There was something about this story that I, and I, I, I could be wrong because my understanding of like feminist literature isn't like 
the strongest but I, I thought it was kind of funny reading this like not funny but uh, it made me chuckle because there was something about this where i was like i i wonder if this fits in that mold of uh the bechdel test because it really did feel like they're the the motivations of these characters uh like so if if people aren't familiar with the bechdel test uh it was uh written by or it, it's i forget who, i know her name is her last name is bechdel allison bechdel allison bechdel and i think she wrote that one com comic funhouse is that her uh fun home i think fun home yeah yeah and one of the this it's kind of contentious uh, literary theory but one of the things that she talks about is how um you know uh there there isn't enough quote unquote feminist literature where the main the the motivations of uh female characters are always based on uh basically based on or around men so uh it was kind of funny to see because i know that bkv does have he does a I guess uh, identify or lean into a lot of this kind of thinking. So to see it play out in a way that uh, that you don't really recognize on the surface was it was something that made me chuckle. Um, I don't know if you had any thoughts on that. You know, it didn't really cross my mind until you mentioned it. But yeah, yeah. Um, just to summarize, the Bechdel test means that the story has to have at least two women in it they have to talk to each other and whatever they talk about has to be about something other than a man yeah and uh based on that criteria yeah i yeah. definitely would have to say paper girls passes that it's it's just interesting to me because it's not a formula that i insist on it's not something that i've I, I even necessarily agree with. Um, I, I'm not. I'm not necessarily against it either. Like if someone writes a story that conforms to that, I'm fine with it. And if they don't, I'm fine with it too. Like the main thing for me is whether it's good or not, right? Yeah. Uh, and that the writer isn't uh, some sort of monster. That that counts too. <laughs> <laughs> but so does that mean but, you ain't gonna be reading Roni Kenshin? <laughs> not not anytime soon, if ever. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but that being said, like I do think that in terms of writing exercises, it is good to challenge yourself with limitations at times. Um, so for Brian came on to to do that. That yeah, that that made me chuckle. I was like, huh, wow, uh, way to go, dude! <laughs> you know, you pulled it off. Like, I think if someone came to me and told me that that was the selling point of a story, it it in and of itself wouldn't be enough to sell me on on it, right? Right. But for him to do a story like that, that adheres to the Bechdel test, it is something where I was like, he did it and he made it work. You know, I, I, I applaud him for that, you know? Yeah, yeah. So it's it's, it's a sign that, one, it, it, I do, I guess I could look at this as, you know, feminist literature. I'm not necessarily a feminist. I don't know if that's 
necessarily true or not, but I, I do see um, I do see uh, like the empowerment of women as as one of the themes in it. You know, like they're they're just so fully flushed out as characters, right? Yeah. But uh, but uh, yeah, like I, I'd like to think that this is a, a good strong addition to to that genre overall yeah i mean i don't know if i would consider feminist literature a genre because that could encompass all sorts of different types of stories but yeah i I get what you're saying yeah one thing you just made me think of though is i feel like in bkv's bibliography he's got quite a few stories that are centered around female characters. Yeah. And, well, let's take probably the two most obvious examples. And one of them is Runaways, which I mentioned earlier in this podcast, but Runaways has a cast that is primarily girls. You know, if if you look at the, the team, it's mostly girls and there's only uh, two boys and, and one of them, you know, isn't in the book all the way through the run. But it, it really does feel like he has, uh, I was going to say predilection, but that might sound kind of creepy. <laughs> I don't mean <laughs> to make him sound like a creepy dude. <laughs> it, it, what? He, he has a unhealthy <laughs> obsession <laughs> with young women <laughs> no just, i definitely just a, do not want to say that about bk <laughs> he's just a red-blooded american what's wrong with that <laughs> uh, but you uh, know what i'm getting at though is just that yeah. he's somebody who enjoys writing well-rounded female characters yeah well and i i do think that runaways has girls that talk to each other about stuff that isn't about the other boys or other men on the team or in the, in the story, you know? Yeah. And, and I was also going to say that the other significant thing that he's done uh, that comes to mind in terms of feminist storytelling is why the last man, Yeah. because that's almost all women in that book. Yeah. But I have heard, I have listened to other podcasts uh, that had, feminists on the on the show where they would discuss this comic uh why the last man and and talk about how it is outmoded from a feminist perspective and yeah um, you know there's things in that comic that don't necessarily line up with uh i guess modern feminism uh and i'm not I don't know the ideology well enough to be able to like explain exactly um, True. where it falls short. You're a man. You should totally be ex- able to and allowed to explain to everyone what women think. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Never let anyone put do, you just not on the podcast. <laughs> Never let anyone put you in your place. I don't want you it on the record. Tell, <laughs> you should tell people what feminism is definitively (laughs) there's only one feminism and i am the only master of what that is (laughs) only i define it (laughs) 
any other form of feminism is not true feminism, especially if it comes from a woman. <laughs> Somebody's going to do that voice line These and take it out of context. These are all jokes, fellas. fellas. And ladies. And ladies. <laughs> But uh, you're yeah. getting closer to making me pee in my pants with your jokes, man. <laughs> getting a little bit closer. <laughs> we we still have some time in this podcast, so maybe maybe by the end of the episode. Yeah, the the meter's building up. Yeah, but back to what you were saying. Like, I do think that even when Why the Last Man came out, there were there was a lot of uh, discussion about, I guess, how the story fits in with just feminist ideology and it definitely i feel like there were definitely detractors for it and more recently when the show was announced i do think it just kind of stirred that uh discussion again uh, yeah that's true yeah yeah so there was because i yeah i i think i think his intentions you know far be it for me to to say what he intended to do or not to do but uh, i'd like to think that his intentions were to tell a story through via subtraction with with something like why the last man where you know his commentary on feminism is through the prism oddly enough uh, through the prism of a world in the absence of men <laughs> which okay may, maybe i could see how that's uh that would be kind of insulting to to you know not not insulting but it but works against the idea of you also feminism. have to keep in mind that why was drawn by a woman too so pia guerra yeah. was the co-creator of the series and she had input I, yeah i seriously I doubt that she didn't uh you know give him any feedback or anything like that yeah i, I want to say he, that the original yeah. editor was heidi mcdonald and I'm yeah. pretty sure she had some input into the story as well. Yeah. But like I was saying, um, I don't think he, I don't, he's, he's, I don't think he's a bad person. He's, he's obviously not. And he is someone who writes with these things in mind. So I do think that from what I remember, I did watch one episode of the, why the last man show. And mm -hmm. It was something where it felt like he took those criticisms and he was mindful to develop something that did he work on the show though or was that the writers of the show doing that like i don't know what his like degree of uh input for the show was but i do feel like yeah like i do feel like even even outside of the show even some in something like paper girls and moving forward i do think that he was someone who views himself as, you know, an ally, uh, you know, if you're gonna use that term. Uh, and he views as himself as someone who is receptive to those kinds of criticism. So even in reading something like Paper Girls, it wouldn't surprise me if uh, he took the things that he had learned or that he had uh taken in from uh why the last man and or or really through his entire body of work and found a way to write something that was mindful of those concerns and those ideas you know yeah but 
yeah that that's something that i would save for an interview with him like i i again i don't know i don't know what his official stance on on any of these things are but yeah right yeah yeah that makes but sense i guess that, that's another theme right there like is at least while I was reading it, that was one of the themes that jumped out at me was it, it, it did feel like it was uh, his attempt to do, I guess, a feminist work or or at the very least, you know, something that's feminist adjacent. Are you referring to why or Paper Girls? Paper Girls. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, going back to why, one thing I did want to add was the book that book came out what like 19 years ago so things have changed i guess in in terms of feminist ideology over the almost 20 years since the book originally came out so yeah, yeah. i can i can understand why things that feminists at the time didn't really call out or criticize are things that feminists today uh, would criticize. Yeah. And I'm not saying that I agree with those criticisms, but I acknowledge that those criticisms are out there. And, you know, I've, I've seen some that that do make some kind of sense. Like, I didn't think about them at the time when I was reading Why as it was coming out, but... I saw something, I remember I, I saw a piece where a writer who was uh, writing about why, you know, over a decade after why had ended. And I, I think this was because the show was coming out, but the writer was saying something about how it's it was just insulting that the, the premise of why itself is insulting because it's a story about uh, all the men dying, but the main character is still a man. <laughs> 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 but like to me, I, I just kind of shrug my shoulders at that. It's like that's that's just kind of the premise of the story. <laughs> what do you want? Yeah, it's it's in the title. It's about the last man. Yeah. yeah. I don't know what to say to that. And truth be told, like I don't think that that I don't think that him writing that story excludes somebody else from writing a story that isn't about, you know, a society where doesn't have men period right of anything like if, if if literature is supposed to be an avenue of expression and exploration of ideas then you know work should theoretically inspire other bits of work and if that's the case then uh we should see more works that explore similar ideas but through a different filter or prism and and I'm okay with that because it just means that there's more contemplative work out there to consume and to contemplate. Mm-hmm. So you know, I I'd, I'd like to think that you know, even if someone doesn't necessarily agree with the conceit of whatever he was writing on Why the Last Man, it opens up the door to other writers to explore other ideas within that same realm and and that's a good thing that's never a bad thing yeah 
I agree. I agree. But yeah, I guess we kind of went on a tangent about why there, but it, it does feel pertinent in our discussion of Paper Girls just because it is BKV writing both comics and yeah. Paper Girls starts. Well, I think it also says something about, you know, his intention and just his worldview as as a whole. So I don't think it's absolutely irrelevant to, to the discussion. Yeah, it's definitely not irrelevant. And I, I think yeah. it's, I, I definitely think it's worth talking about. And um, I didn't expect to talk about why very much when we began recording this episode. But, uh, you know, since we've gone down this trail, it, it just feels like we kind of had to discuss it, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean... It, it points to the fact that he has a history of, he definitely is a writer who has uh, a precedent of injecting, um, I guess, whatever his progressive ideologies are into his writing. Uh, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not wrong in saying that, am I? Uh, like saying that he has progressive ideology and well, he injects it, uh, <laughs> so he, you're mean, telling me he's got an agenda <laughs> i mean just based on all the things are that you he's telling read. me that art has a message <laughs> i'm just <laughs> what about well, the days when comics didn't have politics in them <laughs> <laughs> i want my comics back <laughs> <laughs> well yeah, but like I said, if you've read enough of his body of work, I'm I don't think I'm wrong in in having that takeaway. Like he 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 definitely has a particular worldview in mind and a particular message, and he's not the kind of writer who's uh, ever shied away from uh, in including those ideas in what he's what he's had to write so yeah yeah so i, I think he does enjoy writing female characters because when you just glance at his uh bibliography even his his uh big two comics tend to feature a lot of women you know like runaways yeah. had a bunch of female characters uh, he wrote a run on mystique yeah, He's probably one of the more notable female X-Men characters. Yeah. His run on Swamp Thing uh, was about uh, Swamp Thing's Swamp daughter. Thing. Yeah. 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 And then obviously, uh, Why the Last Man and and then Saga. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's it's just a lot of stuff that that uh. I mean, it's not just the fact that he writes female characters, but I, I think it's because who doesn't, right? But I, I think with him, it, it's interesting to see. Huh? Uh, did you say who doesn't? Yeah. I said, I'm, I'm sure I can think of a few people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess I could think of a few people too, but I don't go on Indiegogo back in comics that never will arrive you know <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, right right uh, yeah but sorry i, I think it stands out with 
BKV's writing is, I feel like he does try to to write more sensitively than the average writer. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. And you know, while we're on the the topic, like again, I, I'm not, I don't want to be like reductive about what his beliefs are or anything, but um, you know, even looking at the cast of Paper Girls, it's it's not your typical you know uh it's not your typical group of all white girls you know he 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 went out of his way to include you know an asian girl and uh, an african-american girl and you know and a jewish girl and a jewish girl exactly so so there's definitely uh he was definitely mindful of representation uh yeah because I do think that, especially with a lot of these sort of throwback stories, you know, this is this is this is a comic that has a lot of '80s vibes just all over it, you know. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. especially in if you look at a lot of the movies that did come out in that era, like, okay, Goonies had that one Asian kid who was also in uh, Indiana Jones, <laughs> sure. Uh, but if you look Short at round. a lot of those short round right but if you look at a bunch of those uh movies um i was just talking about this the other day with someone uh something like monster squad right uh you know stories about these kids that go on adventures uh uh, stand by me we were just talking about that earlier it's Uh always you know kind of suburban white kids going out on adventures doing their thing and that's that's you know we we just take it on face value that that's what america looks like it almost feels like if you went back to the 1980s (laughs) Yeah, uh, I wouldn't exist. Me or you wouldn't exist. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But, um, but again, he was uh pretty mindful to include that in uh in what he was writing to to in in this Ohio in this midwestern town to 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 tell a story that made it a point to say, hey, you know, there there were minorities that existed in the 80s it, it was, mm-hmm. it's not a new thing that was discovered in the 2000s <laughs> <laughs> me and you didn't exist until 2000 do you think uh, the there's somebody 2000. out there who who looked at the cast of paper girls and was like that's unrealistic he's just trying to force this diversity crap on us you know what the sad thing is i i personally don't want to believe that there's someone out there who would think that but it also wouldn't surprise me if there was someone out there who who, who thought that if they yeah. looked at it and they were just like what is this garbage white people would never hang out with minorities <laughs> <laughs> uh, they didn't live in the suburbs of cleveland in the yeah. 80s everyone knows that all asian people lived in chinatown <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's what it really. That's r- the real '80s. <laughs> but to be fair, I, I don't even think they really believe it. I, I think it's just uh, a preferred mode of thinking, just because it it allows them to uh, continue to have whatever crappy worldview that they have. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right. Yeah. But in terms of the feminist reading of. Paper Girls, were there any other elements of it that stood out to you beyond the fact that we have an all-female lead cast? 
Well, I, I'd say that it even goes beyond just the fact that the lead cast is because if you really look throughout it, there really aren't that many men over the course of the story. I mean, you have a couple of the time travelers here and there. Uh, Grandfather is uh, the main villain. He, he's probably one of the most prominent men. But really, like when they go into the future, the woman, the person that discovers time travel is a woman. And the mm -hmm. the I forget her name, but the 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 woman that the one that, uh, whose name starts with the Q. Uh, is she the one? Like, is she one of the native, like the cave people? I don't. Oh, you're thinking of her. Um, yeah. Wari. She yeah, Wari. The, the mother of grandfather. Yeah, I mean, she she plays ends up playing a pretty prominent role in the story too. Um, you know, like I'd say most of the main, like or or like most of the people that were the, uh, I guess the linchpins for a lot of the larger events in the story were women. You know, mm -hmm. um, yeah, minus grandfather, he's probably the the most notable man in in the entirety of the the series but yeah that's true the only other ones that really stand out um are a couple of those teenagers from the future you know the yeah. the people that are fighting grandfather yeah um a bunch of or a few of those are are teenage boys and then there's also the remember uh when they met tiffany's older self's husband oh yeah in the year 2000 yeah man he, i forgot about that guy <laughs> he was only in a couple issues he didn't really uh last very long he got zapped by that thing and then just disappears for forever yeah that's the thing like now that you mention it i'm like oh man did they ever <laughs> i oh, I sorry for him that dude. he's dead <laughs> yeah he was actually a pretty decent dude yeah. in spite of his uh appearance <laughs> yeah exactly I, I thought that was kind of interesting too because it the way that uh, they set how they set up his appearances, he's he just kind of surprises the girls. Um, they don't yeah. expect him, and and then because of the way he looks, they just have this uh, fear, you know, or like a not maybe not fear, but they're it, it's kind of sets off suspicion, or you know, they got to yeah, be yeah, on yeah. guard. But he ends up yeah. genuinely being a responsible being a adult yeah. and a decent dude who who tried to help and protect him, and he ended up getting zapped by the future thing. Yeah. And uh, we never see him again. Yeah. Like, there's a part of me that wants to tell myself that he, uh, you know, they fixed everything and he was returned to the time stream. But uh, I'm pretty sure he's like dead. A dead. pile of ash. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He just got uh, disintegrated. Woo. Yeah, that's rough. Yeah. <laughs> Poor guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, you're right. A, a lot of the characters in this are female characters. Yeah. I and mean, that was one of the prominent roles. Yeah, that was one of the things that jumped out at me in terms of themes. I I wouldn't go so far as to say that he wrote something that said, you know, everything that's ever gone wrong is a man's fault. Like I don't think that that's where he was going with it. Yeah. But it it definitely is something where I could look at it and be like, oh, this is, I could see this as being something uplifting to a young woman who, who's looking for fiction that she can look to as uh, something that she identifies with, you know, or wants to identify with. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. There we go. Um. Yeah, I'm looking here at your list of uh, major themes. Uh. You know, one of the things, like I said, uh, it, earlier, um, one of the things that I was saying was, uh, I don't think that BKV was writing something where he wrote, where he was trying to make it seem like everything that's ever gone wrong is a man's fault. But it does feel like one of the things that he is saying is that the things that do go wrong in the future is are. are I guess it's kind of due to older people. <laughs> yeah. You know, so I do think that is one of the themes uh, of it. And, and that's, I think that's a pretty normal theme that we see a lot, especially nowadays when, when we look at just the state of the world and just how things are. Um, I think now more than ever, there's a lot of people that <laughs> look at the state of the world and they just kind of feel that, a lot of the reasons that we are where we are is just uh, the failure of previous generations to do to do anything right. And in some cases, uh, we might even see the the last dying vestiges of the older generations refusing to relinquish any power. And due to that, just you know, the death throws the mm-hmm. death throws they're in just being the thing that's absolutely ruining everything as of right now yeah um yeah um so there's definitely this go ahead no no finish your thought yeah i was just gonna say there's definitely this element of like youth uh the youth in rebellion that that's prominent throughout the series yeah yeah the whole time war is these teenage time travelers fighting against a guy named grandfather yeah yeah (laughs) so it's like you can't really yeah. uh, get more explicit than that. It's pretty obvious. <laughs> yeah. 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 So there, there is something funny about that illustration. It really brings to the forefront this idea that the old people have, I guess, ruined things or they're not, they're just screwing things up and you can't trust them because they're old. So it's up to the youth to set things right. They're the ones who are trying to actually change history, thinking that they can they can change history to improve the future. But the the old faction, grandfather's faction, they're against the idea of trying to change everything. So that's why they're locked in this conflict where the the young people bristle against the rules that have been established by these older authoritarian figures so it it, it really does feel like that bigger war um also plays out in a micro setting when it comes to our main four because most of them end up confronting older versions of themselves either through the magic of time travel or through uh, some kind of cloning thing which i guess will still involve time travel but i guess it's the idea of of them like literally confronting their older selves and that's set against this backdrop of 
teenagers fighting against a guy named Grandfather. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's there's something there's something amusing, but also something kind of symmetrical or poetic about it from a narrative standpoint. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's uh, pretty... Like... Oh, yeah. go ahead. Oh, no, no, no. Go ahead. No, no, it's it wasn't really anything. Go, go for it. I, I was just going to add that the theme of childhood versus adulthood really stands out, too. And I feel like that's kind of tied into the youth and rebellion concept. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because we, we do see uh, the girls meeting older versions of themselves. And I think back to early on in the story when Aaron meets the older version of herself, who's, I guess, around her, what, 30s or something? And she's she's single and living alone and whatnot. And I don't know. It, it just felt like one of those scenes where the younger Aaron saw her older self and was disappointed, you know? Yeah. And that, that disappointment in what you grow up to become seems to be a recurring theme for everybody. Yeah. Yeah, there's this one moment where older Aaron is just talking about how she's like popping pills because, you know, she's got all sorts of uh, anxieties, yeah. and, you know, uh, depressions or whatever, right? Like, but young Aaron's looking at her and she's just like, what is wrong with you? Yeah. <laughs> is this what I grow up to become? <laughs> It's it's a pretty heavy little scene, and like it's definitely a commentary on like modernity, I guess. I I don't really know how else to put it. Just just the way that people are now, and uh, the the degree to which they feel the need to medicate themselves. Yeah, yeah, that's true, man. Yeah, it's it's definitely it's a minor character moment, but uh, it is something that stands out when we discuss and think about what we're looking at. It's, it's a funny thing to note. For sure. Yeah. I just found the, uh, the page you were, or the scene that you were talking about. And it's, let me see, this is issue. It's an issue seven. And she, uh, the older Aaron pours a, a pill from, and she just pulls it out of her pocket. She just carries it around. And then younger Aaron's like, are 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 those drugs? And then Alder Aaron says, "Chill, it's just Xanax, and I have a prescription." <laughs> I mean, and then, and then the younger Aaron, she looks all shocked, and she's like, "What the heck is Xanax? Are you okay? Are we sick?" <laughs> like she's never heard of that stuff. Yeah, I mean, the funny thing is. I I think from what I remember, I I do think there are people who do pop Xanax like uh for you know recreation <laughs> yeah it probably me. That, that doesn't i mean people people eat tide pods for recreation so well yeah <laughs> yeah yeah people do dumb things to have fun yeah that was a hell of a weekend <laughs> <laughs> you like that <laughs> yeah I wasn't expecting that, but it, <laughs> you caught me by surprise there. Yeah. The the Thanks. P meter is rising. <laughs> yeah. 
did you feel like there were i mean are, are you done with uh, the theme of youth and rebellion or did you want to move on to any other themes or ideas um i guess i don't really have too much more to say about youth and rebellion yeah i, I think one of the things that stands out to me the most overall in the whole series is that disappointment of growing up though. Like I, I feel like that is something that will linger with me. Like whenever from now on, anytime I just glance at the spine of my hardcovers or just look at, you know, the front cover or an image from the book, I'm probably going to think of those feelings again of, of of how adults ruin everything which is uh again displayed through the time war and also just the disappointment that everybody has when they see their older versions of themselves it's yeah i guess there's something about it that resonates to a degree because i could easily see my younger self <laughs> meeting me now and being like uh, yeah, exactly oh gosh. exactly oh gosh it's painful man you have no idea <laughs> i feel like if i met the 12 year old version of me he'd be pretty disappointed if i met the 16 year old version of me he'd definitely try to beat me up <laughs> well there's a chance that the eight-year-old version of me would be pretty impressed by the amount of comic books I have. Oh yeah, that's that, a fact, Jack. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. He'd be impressed that I can drive a car, that I don't have a curfew and I can sleep as late as I want. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, I think I'm gonna drown myself. <laughs> I'm gonna walk into the ocean and just uh, let the waves take me. <laughs> <laughs> Because that was the end of my list. I didn't have anything after that. <laughs> you know what, though? This whole idea that we see in the story about how adults ruin everything and that it's up to the youth to forge a way for the future, I feel like that's a theme that will bode well when we see BKV's Gundam movie. Because... That's definitely a big theme as we've been reading in the origin. So if he's really giving his own take on Mobile that. Suit Gundam, yeah, he can yeah. he can hold to that concept. You know, it'll just play out differently because it's a different setting and characters and all that. But the idea it'll be of it different because he's telling it as a gaijin. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm really trying to make you piss your pants tonight. I'm I'm going out of my way, man. <laughs> I'm just I'm 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 swinging for the fences, baby. <laughs> when BKV when we see BKV's Gundam with the Gaijin BKV, do you, think, <laughs> do you think it'll be an adaptation of the original Gundam, or do you think he's gonna do his own story that? doesn't really reflect too closely to the stuff that we've been reading. That's interesting that you would mention it. It it kind of reminds me of, you remember how a few years, like not a few years ago, I'm, I'm being generous when I say a few years, like 20 years ago maybe at this point, they did that Final Fantasy movie. Yeah. But it basically wasn't based on any Final Fantasy that had existed, but it just mm -hmm. took 
elements from Final Fantasy and there were crystals created... in it. Was that was that the one thing that made it Final Fantasy? <laughs> I'm pretty sure that was what it was. It's been a long time since I've watched The Spirits Within, but yeah, I think there were crystals in it. Okay, and that's what made it Final Fantasy. <laughs> okay, well, I I was gonna say that if that's the take that they uh if that's the approach that they take i i don't think i'd have a huge problem with that um one it leaves the franchise intact because you can just tell yourself that it's an alternate universe yeah right so you can still have a story where you have uh gundam but it doesn't really force itself to to comparison by he's not he won't the, be adapting the original yeah, an exactly. existing story he, he would just be doing like essentially his own alternate universe gundam like the way that iron-blooded orphans or g gundam yeah, or exactly. gundam wing are different exactly. from and the it's original a franchise gundam. that like lends itself to that because they do that anyways right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so so yeah like i like in this case i don't really i can't say i have a problem with that idea what if all the pilots are white? Uh, I guess then I just have to tell myself, one, I wish BKV hadn't written it. And two, <laughs> I wish, uh, I guess I just have to tell myself it's in uh, an alternate universe where it's still 1980 and Asian people don't exist. <laughs> <laughs> That sound about right? <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense to me. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Did, did you have any other thoughts on any of the themes or ideas that stood out to you in the story? Uh no, I I think I I am pretty satisfied with what we covered. Like I I like as a brief reca- recap, it's just you know, the things that jump out at me are, or at us were Youth and Rebellion, uh, the female friendships, coming of age, uh, the feminist themes that uh, exist uh, throughout the course of the book, uh, mm-hmm. the idea of childhood and adulthood and disappointment. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I don't think I missed, I don't think we missed anything. I, I'm pretty sure we... Yeah, yeah, those are the ones that that jumped out to us, and yeah. I'm sure there are other things that somebody that other readers can pick up on. Yeah, which uh, I'd be I'd be willing to listen to, uh, but yeah. yeah, I guess for me those are the things that immediately jump out. If someone hits us up on our Instagram, that's uh, for sure something that I'd be curious to see what other people's takes on it are. Uh, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, same here. Yeah. Let me ask you a question about the time travel element of the plot. So was there anything, as somebody who's not a fan of time travel in principle, was there anything about the time travel elements in Paper Girls that intrigued you or interested you? Um, truthfully, not so much. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I think the way that it was presented was that these girls were lost in time and just trying to get home so you know if you take a pretty 
a broad view of of storytelling then you know their their travel throughout time is really no different than people being sent off to different lands and you know like chrono trigger or something where people are where your characters get split up and you have to get your party back together or whatever right mm -hmm. um yeah like it's just another destination like i i don't i i can downplay that time travel element of it yeah yeah, yeah. so so it's not quite so prominent in my reading of it um heck I, i'd even go so far as to say that Oh no! Never mind. I take it back. I don't agree with what I was about to say. Um, <laughs> <so>. <laughs> That's the first time I've ever heard you disagree with what you were about to say. <laughs> I just imagine hey. this internal battle inside your mind where you're just choking yourself out. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, my mind, I, my brain works decently fast, so I, 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 I catch myself. I occasionally catch myself before I say something that I can't unsay, but other times I, I don't. So I've definitely gotten my fair share of uh, problems from that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Were you but, invested at all in the time war? Did you care who would win or lose that war? Or what the, huh. did you even like, yeah, I guess, did you have any, thoughts on the time war itself man now that you mention it i hadn't thought about it but i think because i was reading it i was invested in it because i presumed that it was going to be part of the ending obviously right but hey yeah i think i was primarily invested in just how these girls were going to get home mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so so that was the thing that mattered to me the most was what like you know discovering whether mac was going to cure her cancer was was probably one of the most tense things for me then when we got to the very end and we get to this place where it becomes um this story of what's going to happen to these girls are they going to remain friends after all this and uh yeah and yeah that 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 became the the strongest emotional uh heartstring that was pulling at me and you know while i'm on the on that subject just you know this being the spoiler free or the spoiled portion of of the podcast i i will say that that ending where they returned to that one night to to was it did they return to that exact night or was it like a year later? At the very end of the story? Yeah. They returned to that exact same night when they actually technically early morning when they first met each other. Right, right, right. So it was November 1st, 1988, like but, really early in the morning when they were going to deliver those papers. But I think they said that they had been on the route with each other for like a year at that point or some of them had, I think. The other three, so Aaron was the new girl, and the other three had known each other uh, because yeah. they had already been paper girls for a while. And yeah. for Aaron, that was her first time meeting those other three. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. So when we get to that part at the end, there was 
there was something about that that was it was pretty moving stuff you know like when we get back to that morning and they had forgotten or their memories had been wiped of everything and it becomes this question of are they still going to be friends after this after everything that they've been through after their memories had been wiped um yeah i think i was on the edge of my seat for up until that final moment and then for them to to do the the rug pull where everything goes to black and then they kind of fade out and you just kind of see how everything is extended out into like the furthest reaches of the universe only to go back to that one moment as they're all separating and i think it was aaron who goes yeah who, who, who calls out to them and says hey do you guys want to still ride on yeah you, even now like i can feel my myself tingling a little at the thought of that moment you know um it kind of reminds me of i don't want to spoil it too much but there's an issue of zot i forget which issue it was but uh oh yeah i know what you're talking about yeah yeah there's there's this one issue of zot where he where scott mcleod does a fake ending to the story so it's yeah i don't want to give away too much about that story because if you ever read uh zot when you get to that it's a pretty amazing payoff but he 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 basically tells this story and establishes this sort of will they won't they moment and then it ends on this note where it just feels like oh that's really downbeat and then you uh you know it looks like it's the end of the well of, the, the, of the trick comic. is that the you have the ending of the story on the when you open up the book it's on the left page and then on the right page there's the letters column yeah so, yeah so you you think you're get you get to the ending because usually the letters page is at the end of the book yeah so you read those letters and then uh you know you feel like that's it but if you flip the page after the letters page then you get another one, page. One page yeah <laughs> exactly and that's the real ending yeah and, and, and it's that a is what is amazing payoff. It's a pretty it's a, beautiful payoff. It's super clever. And I remember reading some of the issues that came out after that where people were mad at the ending because they didn't flip the page. Yeah, yeah. They were complaining uh, about that ending, but they obviously didn't flip the page. And I remember buying the omnibus for that where uh, Scott McCloud was telling a story. And I think he was saying that to this day, it tickles him to think that there might be someone out there who like threw the comic down in frustration and like they're still not aware of that extra ending, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Which is uh Yeah, I mean, it, if the writer is, you know, some form of a god for the whatever universe they're creating, I what what better way to delight in like affecting your reader, right? In 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 being able to control the dimensions and the uh yeah, the dimensions of your world. How 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 funny is that? Mm-hmm. It's great. Yeah, yeah I'm I'm flipping yeah. through it again and just admiring that scene because it does end with everybody saying, "See you later." Yeah. And then they all drive 
in in four separate directions at the or bike in four separate directions at the at this intersection and then yeah. the the quote-unquote camera zooms out so you, you just get this bird's eye or satellite view of the city or the suburb that they're in and then it just keeps on pulling out until you see all these clouds and then you're seeing earth from outer space and then you just see the spiral galaxy <laughs> yeah it's like wow that is yeah that that's super grand and and just a beautiful method of storytelling right there it it really drives home the the i guess i don't even know how to describe it man there's there's just a, a sense of cosmic extremity yeah yeah no i i I get what you're saying. Like, it kind of reminds like, me of that. It's Casablanca. almost like them being. It's almost like them being friends is predestined or something because it's like them being together, them being friends. Yeah. That's what makes the universe right. Right, right, right. I was, you're saying uh, well, it reminds you of uh, Casablanca. Well, it just reminds me of that one quote in Casablanca, and I, it might be a different track that I was thinking, but it's it's that one thing that he says at the end of the movie where it's like, uh, in this crazy messed up world, like the concerns of two people are are just like a like amount to a hill of beans or something like that. Mm-hmm. But it almost feels like, in spite of everything that's going on, in in, in spite of the enormity of everything that's going on in the universe their friendship like that's what matters so uh, yeah. I, I guess that's yeah. that's the same as what you were saying but yeah yeah because you know the universe still goes on without with or without them but in spite of all of that they still have that friendship and i'm i'm about that i'm mm-hmm. i'm mm-hmm. in it man i'm in it yeah beautiful um, ending it really is it really is and uh it's it's totally sells me on on like it, it was a great journey up to that point and then that very last closing scene I, like a lot of people um take issue with the way that brian k vaughn tells endings to his story you, you know what they always say they always say he relies on the time skip does this count yeah. as a time skip <laughs> i don't think so i think this is a diff- a pretty definitive ending and uh they did skip through time to get here though yeah well yeah (laughs) but we don't (laughs) we don't literally it's a very if you think about it it's a very like of the moment kind of ending where it's not something where he fast forwards yeah usually the complaint about him is his endings rely on the fast forward where he jumps forward in time and we see these events roll out over a period of x amount of years and we see that effect you know the 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 effects or uh, the the consequences of their actions right mm-hmm. but in brief uh but no in, in this i think we get a pretty definitive ending because again in spite of everything that goes on it just goes back ultimately to this one moment in time where these four uh these four girls are friends you know yeah. it's it's more than that it's it's the exact moment that their friendship starts like whatever the future may hold it's it, this mm-hmm. moment is the exact moment where it starts for them mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah one other thing uh that i wanted to run by you that wasn't really it's not really like uh tied into the theme or anything but there's a 
there's this one part portion of the story that is about the giant robots uh that the 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 old timers and the young people are are dealing with that's right um did did any did that one white robot that the youths were were using did that remind you of uh the evangelians at all the the ones from the movie the white ones yeah kind of look back and flip through it i'm looking uh at the end of issue six issue 15 and it, that ends with the couple of the big red ones but i those aren't the ones you're talking about right no 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 the the so the young people have these giant white oh yeah i see uh, it now yeah I'm, I'm looking at issue 16 and there's yeah. a, a double page splash of that white one it's like white and black striped kind of like a right. zebra or something right yeah that that's definitely got ava vibes because it's kind of lanky it's got those yeah. protruding uh <clears throat> elbow things yeah kind of a skeletal jaw and then there's this one scene later where when they're fighting um one of them i think it's like punched in the chest or blasted in the chest or something and all this stuff that's coming out of it actually looks like uh viscera like like <laughs> evangelion i thought that was kind of a, a neat little easter egg but i wasn't 100 percent sure like I, i'm still not 100 percent sure i see it man yeah, no i see it I, I, for. I wouldn't be surprised if cliff chang were inspired by yeah ava yeah. i mean he it has to be it there's just the, look the ava design is so distinct that this this yeah. just has to be his homage yeah. intentional the, or unintentional but you know just yeah. the you can see the length lankiness of the torso the, uh -huh, uh -huh. the way that the arms look the, even though the, the jaw and the teeth yeah the even fact that it has teeth kind of, yeah yeah exactly exactly that's what i was going to say too like uh even though the face is kind of westernized and the white evas in the movie had a pretty distinct look to them um but the fact that it has teeth totally reminds me of that right yeah like it has that weird like rictus grin. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah, then man. the the those red ones that the old timers are using, that one kind of reminds me of Shockwave from Transformers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure, for sure. It's a more conventional robot design. Yeah. But but I I definitely see that too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I thought those were uh, nice little Easter eggs to put in there. I mean, there's a <laughs> there's a scene in chapter 17 issue 17 unfortunately the hardcover doesn't have page numbers so i can't specify exactly what page it is but there's a scene where the the that white and black one is fighting the red robot and they're pretty they look like they're almost within like hand-to-hand -hand combat range but the red one ends up using the the two blasters that are mounted on its forearm and the way that the ava crouches and ducks under the shot i mean i already called it an ava but it the ro the the white and black robot it, it does look like an ava in that shot the way it's posed yeah the is, flexibility of it is it that uh bottom up shot um it's not quite the bottom up shot but it's it's just a shot where uh the panel takes up the first half of the page and then the bottom half is three panels of tiffany and the local uh, police officer in the burning police car before they get out of it. Uh -huh, uh -huh. But yeah, this this uh, goes to show, man. BKV writes Mecca, so he's ready for Gundam. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, right, right. Yeah, it is, that was pretty funny though. Like the idea that these two uh, robots were fighting while nobody else can really see them except the except the girls that time traveled. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm looking at some of the scenes in issue 18 where they're fighting, and there's a yeah, there's some pretty good shots of. Of some mecha combat there. It's it's good stuff, man. Sweet. I'm I'm ready for BKV's mobile suit Gundam. <laughs> you also mentioned when we were talking about the series, you were talking about issue twenty-eight. Uh, mm, yeah. I wanted to know this was it felt like this was something that you you felt especially hard. So I, I wanted to know what your thoughts on it were. Yeah, so issue 28, the third to last issue of the series, is when the four girls are, they're all separated from each other. They're all sent spiraling through time, and they end up in different points in time. But the way that the story is told, this entire issue is composed of uh, four-tier grids, meaning that each page has four panels, like four horizontal panels. And each tier of the page is dedicated to each of the girls in that timeline. So you you can actually read the story um, in different ways, which is extremely fascinating to me because there's there's a couple pages here and there where the two pages that are next to each other form a spread so you you can read like one long you you basically you're basically reading four long horizontal panels across two pages but a lot of these other pages most of the other pages are just these four panels per per page and you can read them uh you know horizontally like you can read the top panel of one page and then look at the top panel of the next page or you can just read you know the entire page straight through where you just look at the first panel and then the second panel the third panel and the fourth panel and then read the next page but anyway you read it 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 just works man you can even read it where it's like you treat you could just treat each two pages each two page uh, unit as even though they're not spreads you can treat them as uh, a unit where you you can read the top two panels of both of those pages and then move down to the next two and like either either way it still makes sense like I, w- I was trying it as i was reading it and like this was the issue where i actually spent a longer time than normal reading it just because i was doing this experiment in my head to see how the storytelling works and it just connects man like every every way that you read it there's a, a poetry and a symmetry and a flow to it that you don't really see in other things other than like your Watchmen's or your Alan Moore comics, you know, like this kind of experimental storytelling told over the course of an issue. Yeah. And I'm sure it's not like the first time anybody's tried to do something like this, but it, I I recognize the craftsmanship of it, man, because it's not easy to, to do this kind of story for an entire issue, especially when you're coordinate. Exactly. Especially when you're on issue 28 of a series like to just yeah. throw that in there and and it, it's like so perfect thematically because 
it's about these girls that are um so far away from each other because they've all been sent spiraling through time and yet yeah. they're still so close to each other because of that bond that they have they're always like connected and that's kind of personified in the pages because they're still literally next to each other on the page but as characters in the story they couldn't be farther apart and then there's yeah, this yeah. this one scene in the in the story where there's this ripple that happens throughout time and they all feel it and they all react to it and the way that Cliff Chang draws it is just this it's still a four-tier grid on that page yeah, but yeah, there's yeah. this lightning bolt that opens up this window into a another portal of time and everybody it goes through everybody's panel and everybody's yeah. just like shocked and looking at it it's like dude this is this is the kind of stuff i live for in comics man like you can't do yeah. this stuff in in another medium like this is what comics are made to do you can't you can't read a tv series three different ways and have it make sense you know like this is just unique to comics and yeah it, it blows me away man I, I love this stuff that's hmm kudos to bkv and cliff chang for coming up with this I, I don't know how long it took to conceive conceive this issue but uh-huh, uh-huh. dude it, it was worth all the effort they put into it yeah nice man kind of reminds me a little bit of this one issue of the midnighter comic that bkv wrote like he actually only wrote that one issue but i think it was i want to say issue six or seven and this was probably i don't know around like 2006 or seven or something so it was quite a while ago but he did this one issue of midnighter where you were seeing the story from midnighter's point of view and the mm-hmm. and the thing with midnighter is so he's this superhero from a team called the authority and his power is that he knows everybody's move before they plan it basically he's fought that fight a million times in his mind in the moment before the fight actually begins so that's kind of like his catchphrase and what what makes him that's what makes him this unbeatable hand-to-hand combatant Mm -hmm. but in that bkv issue of midnighter you see the story from midnighter's point of view so the reason why he's able to predict the outcome of any fight that he fights is because he he's already lived it. So when you read the comic, you're reading the story backwards because he's right. already experienced it. It's right. it's funny, man. Like I love that experimental stuff. That is pretty awesome. Yeah. It also did you ever reminds... read that Midnighter comic? I did. You you recommended it to me like years ago but i i do remember that because it's something that you can read forwards and backwards it's pretty cool yeah you gotta love stuff like that man give kudos to people that try different things with comics yeah i was gonna say it reminds me of another comic uh by ray fox Uh, it was something that won quite a bit of accolades but it's called one soul and it's a original. I don't know the original graphic novel is. It's it's an original work, and that whole thing is. It it works on that same level of complexity where each panel uh, follows one particular story, and as you read the book, you kind of have to pay attention to the placement of each panel. Mm-hmm. Um, he does it more with. I think he does it with more characters. So, because I remember when I was reading it, 
it was it was a thing where I think I might have read about a quarter of it before I realized what he was doing. And <laughs> so I was reading it and I was just like, okay, I'm really trying to understand the method to his madness here, but it just it was hard to to follow. But once I kind of figured it out, I was like, oh, okay, this is something that I'm I I I might want to reread again once I from from start to finish with this new understanding of how he 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 expects the reading to experience to go and and once I've done that there's like you said there's multiple uh, a variety of ways for me to read it so I could try to follow one person's story all the way through to the end of the book and essentially put myself in a position to read it multiple times as i follow each of the characters through their uh individual threads yeah but but it it, it is something uh similar to that yeah yeah it's i gotta check that one out that's that's some good stuff there man i really appreciate it when creators do stuff like that it's it can be kind of risky because yeah you're gambling that you're experimentation is still going to have clear storytelling let's let's be honest you're gambling that readers are sophisticated and clever enough to get it <laughs> absolutely absolutely and that that's uh not a bet i would place money on because yeah. i tend to believe that most people are stupid <laughs> <laughs> it's a bet that i'm pretty sure i'm gonna lose most of the time <laughs> I guess that's why it makes sense that they did it in issue 28 because at that point nobody's going to drop the comic. You're pot committed at that point. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Were there any characters that jumped out at you? Any characters that you felt any a special affinity towards? I think the character that I felt an affinity towards was probably the older version of Aaron that they first met in the second arc. Really? Interesting. Strangely enough, I, I think that's the character that uh, resonated with me the most. I mean, if you just ask me who my favorite character was, I, would, I guess I would just say Aaron was my favorite character. I see. But the older Aaron, the first older Aaron <laughs> that we meet, there was something about that whole story, that the way that the way it played out, that hit me. Because it's like what we were saying earlier. You know, it's the kid version of you meeting your older self and being disappointed and that was something that forced me to confront myself in a way that i didn't expect to while reading a comic book Oof. <laughs> yeah yeah harsh. yeah yeah it was it was harsh man i i <laughs> after i finished that story I, I definitely put the book down and uh i couldn't read the next story for a couple days i had to just process wow. the failure of life that i had made a mess of i thought you were going to say after you read that story you had to put your head between your knees and just breathe heavily for oh well <laughs> that's understood that's a given yeah that's a good <laughs> that's what i'm doing right now while we record this podcast i've just got the microphone on the floor so i nice. can bend over and be in this position well, you sound you sound exceptionally clear <laughs> <laughs> It's all about the breathing exercises I do before the podcast. You know, warming up makes a big difference. Oh, oh, oh. He, he, he. Hoo, hoo, hoo. 
What about you, man? Did you have a favorite character? Um, oddly enough, I was gonna say the I I was gonna say the older version of Tiffany was probably oh, uh, okay. the the character that I uh, resonated with the most. In retrospect, maybe the younger version of Tiffany too. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There was just something about her isolation that I don't know. I, I there's something about that that I want to say I recognize it, but I. Well, I guess I recognize it in her, you know, it's, it's, you recognize the emotion. Yeah, there we go. Uh, there's something, something evocative about it. It's evocative. It's kind of, it's pretty sad. Like I can't help but feel sad for her, you know, when she, and that, when that we, somehow resonates with you. I think so. And then when we Next see, time the I older, see you, maybe I'll give you a hug. Uh, please don't. Uh, but uh, when we see the older version of her, there's something about that, that, it all makes sense too. just just the way that she ends up just you know that that sense of isolation that she feels and that sense of i guess what's the word just not displacement but uh uh what's what's that word where like separation or uh-huh. detachment the the sense of detachment that she feels from the rest of the world but then she ends up going on that or she ends up going on the time journey with the four kids you know and she at one point she uh she sacrifices herself or seemingly sacrifices herself to like mm-hmm. save the other girls and you know it just goes to show that in spite of it all there there was still a lot of good in her you know like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it felt like her arc was that she she went on she ended up going on this journey with these girls and it it jump started something in her for her to realize that this wasn't the life that she really wanted to lead this mm-hmm. wasn't where she wanted to be and she she went beyond that to 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 clearly become something more you know she didn't let herself be stunted in that moment yeah but uh yeah i guess there was something admirable about her that i that i was uh that i that i found respectable yeah yeah well maybe you can emulate her just hang out with a group of 12 year old girls and you'll find new purpose in life no i'm pretty sure i'm a lost cause <laughs> hey, if you feel isolated, man, I'll drive over to your house right after we record. I'll give you a hug, man. Let you know you're not alone. I, you we're, know, we're not I just will... podcasters. We're friends. We're not just podcasters. We're friends. We're not just podcasters. <laughs> we're friends. I was gonna say. I was also gonna add. I I did find that I did like KJ too. She she's another character who I guess she's kind of the stereo not she's not the tough girl of the group but she does find that inner strength to be a tough girl and i guess she she does love it when people get kicked in the nuts and she has a great (laughs) moment where she kicks some dude in the nuts with her (laughs) her boots she does she does well i i guess i was gonna say that she went from being like i don't really know what her archetype was before like i i guess the perception of her was she was just kind of this girl from a prestigious school uh kind of preppy or something but 
I guess yeah. she'd be the preppy girl, but she ended up being a pretty tough girl and pretty determined. And I found that really admirable in her. You know, like once she once she put her foot on the gas, she went uh, all in on being this person. And uh, I was about that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I forget though. Did did we ever see like we don't ever meet an adult version of her, do we? We do. Towards the end, we meet like this forty-year-old right? version. Huh? Was it the clone? Was it a clone, or was that actually her? Uh, I it might have been an older clone of her. Okay. So okay. Uh, I don't know. Does that count in your mind? Uh, no. I think there's a, di- a distinction between like what you know, Tiffany meeting an older version of herself, and Aaron meeting an older version of herself. Like mm-hmm. I. Like, I don't know what the older version of KJ was like in their timeline. I, I guess that's the point that I was trying to make. Yeah, that's true. The older KJ that we do meet is a clone. Yeah. So, yeah, there's something, there's got to be something really bizarre about meeting yeah. a future older version of yourself that's also yeah. a clone of yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, come to think of it, now that we've pulled on that thread a little bit, they could have technically cloned Mac too, right? So even if she was dead, couldn't they clone her? Or would her clone just have but time if, travel like cancer too? Yeah, that's what I'm not sure. I, I don't know enough about cloning and cancer cells to be and able to say. travel cancer. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> it, it feels like the only way that you could clone Mac is to take her into a time period where cloning technology is present right or exists so if you do that the future yeah oh, but if you do, if that, you do then that the clone will won't that clone already have this uh predisposition to to the time future. travel cancer well how about this couldn't they go back in time and get material like genetic material from a time before she gets cancer Hmm, or that is a good going, question. Or would, or by bringing that material to the future, would that automatically irradiate it to the point where it's automatically going to be cancerous? That's a good question, man. I I could I could see what you're saying either yeah. way. I don't have an answer. I think that's something where you have to you have to ask BKV. Yeah. Interview him, man, or or email him or. <laughs> or sign up for a sub stack so you can ask yeah. him. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a funny little thought exercise, but I also think it's not the point. I think the, the thing about Max Arc, the poignancy of Max Arc is that, you know, she kind of has to die <laughs> in order for us to, to, I guess, deal with the, the finality of it all. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a heavy thing to learn that you're about to die or that you will die before you age too much you know yeah like that's that's a heavy weight always going to be at the back of her mind whereas uh, if you think about it after they get their memories wiped and return back to 1988 i think the implication is that she's she's still probably gonna have cancer and yeah, die. I'm but, pretty sure that was the implication. Yeah, but yeah. now that 
she lost her memory of all the events. She's not going to have that weighing on her mind. Yeah. 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 So, yay. (laughs) (laughs) Whoopee. (laughs) Well, fortunately for us, the the book ends in a moment when they're all, you know, enjoying life with each other. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The rest is just left to our imaginations. We can still kind of tell ourselves, though, even even if they hadn't gone through all that, uh, there's no way to tell who who lives and who dies. Yeah. For how long. Right. So I, I do feel like that was kind of the point of it all. Mm-hmm. And and I. It's it's I, it might be corny to say, but it, like it does feel like the message is just enjoy the now and, you know, appreciate the people who are in your life while you can still appreciate them. Definitely. Yeah. All right. You want to go into any recommendations for uh, for the good people who, who would enjoy this and want to read more of something like this? Sure. So I think the most simple recommendation or the most obvious recommendation that I came up with is Runaways, which we've mentioned already, but Brian K. Vaughn's Runaways definitely reminds me of some of the stuff in Paper Girls, or maybe I should say Paper Girls reminds me of Runaways to some extent, because like Paper Girls, Runaways is also about youth and rebellion in a very literal sense, because it's these kids who wake up and find out that their parents are supervillains and they you know run away as the title says but <laughs> the, the story is absolutely about how adults have screwed up the world and it's about the disappointment of learning that your parents are evil literally evil and the whole you know the whole idea of having this adventure when you're kids because i guess the kids in Runaways are mostly older, like they're all like teenagers, except for Molly, who's pretty young, but still similar vibes of just kids going on this adventure, learning to to rely and trust in each other, even though uh, they've known each other for a while. They don't act. They've never actually spent a whole ton of time with each other, so they don't. They're not super close to begin with, but. As the adventure progresses, obviously they end up becoming closer knit. So mm-hmm. I, I would definitely recommend Runaways if you haven't read it yet. Uh, Rainbow Rolls Runaways is also another good one. So if you've enjoyed BKV's run, then definitely check out the Rainbow Roll run on Runaways. Mm-hmm. And my other recommendation that isn't BKV related is a comic called Good as Lily by Derek Kirk Kim and the late but great Jesse Ham. So Good as Lily is a little bit obscure because it was part of DC's Minx line. I don't even know if people listening to this will remember DC had a line called Minx, but it was, I guess, the mid-2000s, probably around like 2006 or 7, when they tried to do this line of original graphic novels aimed at the YA market at the young adult market, but I guess they were kind of too ahead of their time because it, it failed and didn't last very long. Maybe 
only published, I don't know, six or eight books from that line. But yeah, uh, Good as Lily is a great piece of work, and it should still be available online. Like I don't think it's so rare that it's become prohibitively expensive. I think it was just something that probably didn't sell out. So you can still probably buy some at a secondhand bookshop if you if you're lucky enough to find it or just go online and and see who's see if any stores online are selling it. But the reason why I would recommend Good as Lily is because it's a story about a girl or a, a young lady who meets different versions of herself from different points in her life. So she meets like an old lady version of herself. She meets uh, a working single adult version of herself and she meets a little kid version of herself. So it's got similar vibes in terms of, uh, I guess, seeing what your life has turned into and, and <laughs> the disappointment that <laughs> ensues from, from it there's a lot of stuff to that deals with memory and uh how the past has shaped us yeah it, it's a really good book and i haven't read it in a while but when i was thinking about what's got similar vibes to paper girls that was something on my shelf that jumped out and i think i might reread it just because of that nice nice what, what about you man what are your recommendations for people who dug paper girls so <clears throat> I wasn't uh, I wasn't really able to come up with too many comics that I felt were uh, spiritual spiritually in sync with um, Paper Girls. I think off the top of my head, the first thing that I thought of was the movie Stand by Me um, from 1986. Um, mm-hmm. It was. I forget who was in it, but I think like Denny Denny O'Connor was that was one of them. uh Will Wheaton was one of them. Yeah, Will Wheaton, uh River Phoenix, Corey Feldman, Jerry Corey O'Connell. Feldman, yeah. Jerry O'Connell, yeah. Yeah. Directed so, by Rob Reiner. Yeah. So it was just a movie about four kids who end up going on a journey to uh basically look at a dead body that they find and you know, while they're going on this journey to them, they're, you know, to us, they're just these kids who are just out doing shenanigans, but to them, it's almost this epic journey, this, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I really mm-hmm. don't know how to describe it, but, uh, it, I guess there's something about it that almost takes you back to, to that sense of what it's like to be on a kid and to be out in the world with your friends and how everything just feels like this adventure. And um, there's definitely this sense that this experience was something that cemented the, the bonds between all four of these kids. Uh, and likewise, I do think that that's something that I see in Paper Girls as well. Uh, so yeah, I feel like, you know, if you wanna immerse yourself in something similar uh stand by me is 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 something to check out um the other thing that odd funnily enough popped up in my mind as i was reading paper girls was we stand on guard which is also by brian cave uh 
Uh, let me check the artist real quick. Steve uh, Scross. Steve Scross. Yeah. And it's just a story that takes place in the future. I'm pretty sure we talked about it on this podcast before. Wasn't that um, your recommendation for a science fiction story? Might have been. I forget. We've done so many episodes. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing about it is it's a story that just takes place in the future of America. And it, it definitely feels like it, it's a, it definitely feels like it's a, a story that looks at how the future has been ruined by established, you know, centers of uh, authority. Uh, and yeah, like I, one of the things that made it pop out at me when I was reading Paper Girls was, and, and I don't know if it's a, it was a, a, an intentional move by BKV or anything. I could just be reading into it, but there's a moment where they go to the future and the, the, the the kids talk, tell someone that they're from Canada and they're like, how'd you get over the wall? You know, and it just made me think, it just made me wonder if uh, the we stand on guard future is a future that exists in <laughs> the, the paper called future, you know? It's the BKV verse. Yeah, exactly. But it definitely, but it does feel like, uh, you know, it, it does share some material with paper girls in the sense and in the sense that it shares bkv's outlook for i guess what the future could be you know Mm -hmm. just if we continue to take our time for granted and take our like care for the future for granted yeah yeah um one other book that we discussed uh, prior to the podcast was also Plutona, which is uh, Jeff Lemire. And uh, I forget who. Emmy uh, Lennox. Yeah. And that's, it's another story revolve, uh, involving uh, a group of kids that are faced with something pretty heavy. Um, they, they basically find a dead what they think might be a dead superhero in the woods and gotta love the stories that start out with kids finding dead bodies. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, but this, this one shared experience ends up, it ends up affecting them in a pretty severe way. Let's just say that, mm-hmm. uh, like, I don't think it's quite as uplifting as paper girls, but I do think <laughs> it's, uh, it's a pretty powerful story, nonetheless. It's worth reading. Certainly, certainly. Well, one final thing I did want to say. I had meant to say it earlier, but uh, I guess it somehow slipped my mind. But I had the the window open uh, yeah. on my computer to to remind myself. But when we were talking about the creative team at the beginning of this episode, I I need to shout out the letterer man. Give Jared K. Fletcher some love. Because right, right. there's this one thing that uh, he did in this book, which is he created this alien font that oh. some of the time travelers speak. And it it's uh I don't know if you had this in the uh, digital editions that you read, but in the hardcover, there's some extras, right? And like there's an 
uh, in the third hardcover, there's this whole section where he, he talks about some of the stuff that he was doing for the book. And uh, there's a couple pages on how he developed this alien font. Uh, and it started off as uh, being based on uh, the Korean alphabet. Uh-huh. And then uh, he kept on iterating on it until it became something else. And uh, it's actually a, there's actually a code to it because all of the characters in that font he created this fake alien font that just looks like glyphs or symbols they all represent uh letters in the english alphabet so you could theoretically take this cipher go back through the comic and decode all of the text that these future teenagers speak (laughs) right 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 pretty clever stuff man like that's the kind of stuff that i feel like that's a lot a lot of work to ask for your letterer man like yeah, I feel like most people don't really need to do that, except when it when they do have to do it, it it's got to take up a lot of time. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's an attention to detail and uh, a level of effort that shows how much care and love they they have for this work. Yeah, it's, it's next level stuff for sure. Definitely. Yeah. All right. So I guess that does it for us. Next episode, next week, we will do our autopsy on the Ms. Marvel Disney Plus series. Even though it ended a little while ago, we said we would do an autopsy on that series. So we'll get to it. Anything else you want to say to the good people before we bounce, Albert? If you have anything to comment or anything you'd like to add to our conversation, feel free to hit us up at between the gutters podcast at gmail.com or hit us up on our Instagram slide into them DMS, you know, at between the gutters on Instagram or, uh, you know, tweet at us at between the gutters because we're going to be right there. We, we are going to be listening for it. So hit us up. And also, additionally, uh, you know, whatever platform you happen to be listening to us on, if you could, you know, give us four stars or five stars, whatever the max is, that would be a great help, you know, and uh, share our stuff because we would like to get out to more people and we would like more people to hear us. Yeah, there's nothing better than having more people exposed to the threats that we make. To yeah. our listeners <laughs> exactly because exactly. who doesn't like to turn on a podcast and hear somebody threaten to poop <laughs> on their living room floor if they don't read a comic that we like yeah that's uh that's i i basically have that tattooed on my back so uh, that's you've got my creed <laughs> credo thanks for listening everybody this is between the gutters signing off peace bye guys Oh, nothing. Oh, did you start recording already? Maybe. Okay. (laughs) Uh...
Okay, let's give it five seconds and I'll, I'll jump into it. One, two, three. You're not. You're four, not helping. Four, five. <laughs>